like to invite you to open your Bible to Philippians in chapter 1. Uh, I imagine it's a familiar passage for you. It's, a, it's been a favorite of, of mine for a long time, the last verses of Philippians chapter 1. And uh, I think it can speak to our taking advantage of the ministry opportunities that we have and making, making the fullest use of those opportunities to be uh, used by God in, in powerful ways. So let's look at Philippians chapter 1, and I'll read the last four verses there, starting at verse 27, Philippians chapter 1. It says, Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me and now here to be in me. A lot in there. We're going to look at some specific things, though, to encourage you this morning. But let's pray and ask God for his help. Lord, we ask not just that you would help at this time, but that you would rule and overrule in our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would use your word to convict and direct us and uh, ultimately to, to strengthen us in doing what's right, doing it consistently, doing it for your glory. We pray that uh, each one of us here as we uh, submit to that uh, direction of yours would, would find the, the joy of being used uh, for your kingdom, for the furtherance of your bride, the church. And we just pray that you would uh, be glorified in our time here together and help us to, to focus upon uh, what you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Can you imagine a, a war horse? I don't have so many of those in, anymore. We've got a cavalry in our army, but I don't think there's a lot of horses involved in it. Uh, uh, but think back to those times that, that we kind of like to imagine. In fact, the probably easiest for me to imagine was the days of knights and castles. And those, the horses that those knights rode had to be kind of special creatures, didn't they? Of course, it wasn't that much different in, in Roman time, and their cavalry was uh, extensive as, as, as well. But you couldn't just take a horse off the farm anywhere and, and use it to, in, in battle. Just imagine how special that creature had to be, the strength it would display. It had to charge quickly, carrying a lot of weight, pretty heavy pasture, especially if guys got all kinds of armor. Sometimes the horse would have his own armor as well. But carrying all that, he had to, to uh, still be quick, still be agile on his, his feet. Uh, imagine how that animal would have to be sure-footed on a battlefield. Whatever the terrain was, Especially in the Middle East, we think of the, the rocks and, and things that they would have to, to, to be on. And then on an actual b- battlefield, there's fallen soldiers, there's weapons and things lying around at the horse's feet, and yet he had to be in complete control over that uh, uh, ground. But most of all, for the war horse to be amidst shouts and clashes of swords and smells of death and the arrows and the flames of a battlefield, the war horse had to remain calm and steady. 
its master depended on it. And that horse's own life depended on it as well. And Paul is using a horse uh, terminology in this passage. Verse 28, when it says, in nothing terrified, that word terrified described a horse that bolted, particularly bolted in battle. That's when you find out that yours wasn't really a good uh, horse for for battle, if if he takes off. And what's going to happen if if that horse takes off? For one thing, if you're on it, you just took off too. And you can try to convince your buddies for the next month or the rest of your life that you meant to stay on that battlefield, but it was the horse's idea to leave it. But no, you look like a coward. The horse's master suffers because of the horse's fear. So I want to see in this passage, as, as Paul gives us several pictures like he he likes to do and one on top of the other. Uh, Three keys to our courage, and particularly he's talking about, we want to talk about our involvement in ministry. Three keys to courage, and I call this it in nothing terrified, just borrowing those those words from verse 28, uh, because I know some of you have to make outlines, don't you? Three keys to, to courage, and they can be part of our daily lives so that we can be fearless when the spiritual battle is fiercest. So that we can be in nothing terrified. First key is to have one spirit standing firm. We saw that in verse 27. That I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit. Stand fast refers to holding one's ground. Like a, like a soldier on guard keeping his his post, following through with his duty. The Lord stations us through our life, doesn't he? You have right now someplace you're supposed to be, not only here in your training, but when it comes to uh, your church ministry on not just Sundays, but uh, at other times, there are things that is God's will for you to be doing. Are you standing firm? Are you at your post? Are you fulfilling what God has for you to do today and on uh, into, the, into the other days? What does it take to draw you or scare you away from your post? It just doesn't, you know, we get nerves. We get uh, frightened about things sometimes or feel that, that we're in, inadequate. And we can end up bolting, being like a skittish horse, horse sometimes. We used to have a... Uh, uh, a student that came to our, our church, he, he drove, he was a college student, he drove about an, an hour and, uh, and doing great with the music and helping out with the youth and things like that. We, we loved him and enjoyed having him. Uh, but then the snow fell. And sometimes there'd be more than an inch. You know that, right? Uh, but at, at anything over an inch, this guy got, uh, oh, I just don't know how I could make a pastor. And, you know, this is snow is, is, you know, it's dangerous out there. And I don't want to be the guy that says, you know, come on, be tough and, and go. And the one Sunday, it was one weekend ministry, I guess, in particular, there was a, a young lady from our church who wanted something from that college and to get back. And, and so she went ahead and made the trip back and forth when the guy was saying, oh, I couldn't possibly go out on these, on these roads. And, and we know that this just wasn't, wasn't working out for him. Stand at your post. Fulfill your duty. 
Now, the spirit, as we stand with one spirit, is our attitude, it's our direction, it's our purpose, it's our aim. Paul used it that way in Ephesians chapter 4, 21 to 23. He says, If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation of the old, the old man, that's what we're putting off, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So again, our attitude is, is going to help us to, to stand fast. So let's look at two challenges we're going to have with having one spirit. What we're talking about, having one spirit, first of all, it's the challenge of consistency. Our conversation, of course, is the word for a person's citizenship. The word is the word for politic in, in that day. It's your regular behavior. It's your daily conduct, your citizenship. The Philippians were considered Roman citizens, even though they're born in Macedonia. They're Roman citizens because they, they had a colony, and it was very important to them. It was literally valuable financially to them uh, to be uh, a Roman colony. So they thought very uh, much of their precious citizenship. But Christians, wherever we find ourselves, are heavenly citizens. In chapter 3, verse 20, it says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also we look for the, for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. So being citizens of a whole different world, and subjects of a much different king. That ought to make believers stand out for their courage. Knowing whose we are. You know, if we're bound by love to the things of this world, you know, we're going to fret over the markets, uh, values, levels of risk, but if we value unearthly and untouchable things as a way of life, and that's what I mean by citizenship or what Paul meant here, is that this isn't just a good day. Hey, you, you might have a good day. Wow, same day I resisted a temptation and I served, I did, you know, that, that was a good day. And now, now I can be naughty for a few days or, or something. No, it's, it's a consistency of life that we're looking for here. That will give you the courage. I mean, if you think that you have a victory just because it's been a good day, well, then, then you think, well, tomorrow may not be a good day, and there's, you won't have courage for victory then. He's looking here to stand firm and to have that consistency of, of life. Um, you know, we will not be, if we can get into this, this, these good spiritual habits, uh, these disciplines, will not be so powerfully tempted to fear, to fall, to follow after the world, uh, because we have that courage that comes with consistency. And, and secondly, uh, to, to be able to stand firm, cooperation will be a great help, along with consistency. Now, we know that that, that was an issue here in Philippi, because chapter 4 and verse uh, 2 uh, talks about the division that was caused by some, some ladies there, and... Uh, you know the ladies I'm, I'm talking about, and you can pronounce them however you want to pronounce their names. But I call them odorous and soon touchy. But, uh, uh, but you know, if, if those are your fellow workers right there and they can't get along with each other and probably not, not you, uh, then you, they don't have your back. You're not going to have the courage of, of 
Christian cooperation that we're, that we're meant to have. And, um, you know, we must share a purpose to withstand Satan's attacks. He constantly poses temptations of, of compromise. And if, if the church is just a social gathering and we're all just trying to, to get along and not really able to trust each other, uh, things like doctrines get set aside. Now, something I, I gave special attention to in, in looking over this, this passage again was, was the setup of the book. Verse 1, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. I had really noticed that the bishops there was plural in this city of Philippi. Of course, that reminds us of Ephesus. We know that Paul, his last journey, was meeting uh, with the, the elders of Ephesus. And people have taken from that that there were, it was a, a church in Ephesus run by a, a bunch of elders. But we know he's talking about pastors. And probably there's multiple of them because there were a lot of smaller congregations. They didn't have a church buildings and facilities like we have or the it was just a lot better to have the smaller congregations spread out uh, around a city like that. And it's probably much the same in, uh, in Philippi, where there were a number of bishops and other, a number of pastors because there's several congregations uh, that, that were meeting there. And uh, whether you consider them separate churches or not, these congregations needed to get along. They needed to cooperate. They needed to, to work together. And I think that's part of what uh, Paul is talking about here. I said I hadn't Talked about that before because when I've preached from this passage, I've always been talking to my local church and talking about the unity that we need to have. But I think, uh, of course, in Paul's support in the church planting that they did and the looking for leadership to uh, uh, export to other places, there was uh, uh, cooperation that went on between these congregations that was important and helped them in their courage to know there's other faithful uh, believers uh, gathering and uh, serving at the same time. In fact, in verse 5, uh, Paul talks about uh, his, uh, his fellowship uh, with these other believers and how they would, they would share that. Uh, later on, he talks about fellowship in the gospel. And it's not just speaking of the, the life that they had in common because they were saved, but the work that they had in common because of God's grace. We fellowship. We share a, a work together. First, our work is to glorify God. That's over, over all things, to glorify our, our Savior. And for them also, it, secondly, it required spreading the good news of salvation. This is how, part of how we glorify him by spreading the gospel, he mentions over and again. Now, they had done this partly by faithfully supporting Paul and his, his ministry as he traveled, but they had their own responsibilities, each one as well. So this fellowship or cooperation, it is the, the unity of the spirit that God wanted for the Philippians and still wants for us. You know, where you go to church, people are taking on ministries of, of all types and they can use your support. Hey, you have your things that you're doing and, and you don't overlook those, but you can, you can help others as well. At least have encouraging words for them, pray for them, 
Sometimes you can step over it and uh, be personally present and be encouraging to them. And maybe you're able to give some hands-on help to people that are uh, doing some sort of ministry, whatever it be. And obviously there's all sorts. You can help them stand fast. And as you do that, help them to keep up the good work. Both you and they are obeying the Lord. And that, of course, is for his glory. We do that with, with one spirit. We stand firm. Now, secondly, to have courage, we need one soul and striving together. That's also there in verse 27, that with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Of course, that word mind and soul, they're interchangeable. It's the same, same word. Uh, we describe that as the seat of thought, emotion, and will. You know, James said, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Literally referring to a two-souled person. And we're not talking about a psychosis, but we're talking about a, uh, someone who's indecisive, perhaps. Someone maybe in unfaithfulness, not sticking with uh, what, what he knows to be right and what he's given given to do by the Lord. So having one mind is also what we call integrity. It's a wholeness of purpose and devotion. It's not unlike being consistent. This is our wholeness, uh, singleness of mind that he wants for us. And, and part of that integrity is keeping the uh, appearance and the reality together. Uh, you know, it, any kind of job you have, you can just look busy. And I think people can do that in, in Christian ministry, too. We can just look busy, but the reality that, that you have a, a desire to accomplish something and that you're doing your, your best at it. So, again, Paul, with his illustrations, uh, uses terms here where he says we're to be, to be striving uh, together. The, the word there is soon athaleo. It's... Uh, was used often in sports. So we'll talk first about the, the illustration of an athletic team. Uh, striving together pictures an athletic team, uh, often used of sports in, in Paul's day. And the commonality with the Christian life, you know, how are we like a, like a, a team? It's, well, the exertion, we're putting work into it, and a shared opponent, and we're of, of two minds when our, our Christianity is conflicted over a love for this world and a, a desire to be loved by the world. And it's just essential that we pick a side. I was saved a long time ago. I was very young. And you could say that on that day I picked a side and I've been on the Lord's side, but I needed to pick one this morning too. And all through the day, we need to choose to serve the Lord and not ourselves or not anyone else that would call for it. And this may speak strongly of teamwork among Christians, but it begins with each member's dedication to this shared purpose. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress comes, comes to mind as he's headed down that, uh, that uh, road to the celestial city. Uh, I guess he's called Christian part way and, and others join him and interesting characters that, that come and go sometimes because they're drawn away or for some reason they, they fall away. They don't, they don't stick with it. 
And of course, that would, that would discourage him, but the point was that Christian needed to keep going. Walvrud has said that conflicts within the church originate with human failure. It's not a diversity of God's principles or guidance. You know, we live in a world that says you can have your own truth and you can have your own way to live out your truth and uh, I'll have my own truth and my own way, but that's uh, we just have the one truth in our citizenship with our king. And he is the truth. And there's, there's no excuse for uh, failing him. In, in team sports, everyone has a position and a common goal. Filling our role is of great importance to our captain. If we're all seeking to glorify God and not ourselves, you see this is not the NBA we're talking about, right? Uh, Not glorifying ourselves, that'll make a drastic reduction in the number of things that divide us. Having that common goal and serving, glorifying him. And the gospel, of course, is uh, one of the great ways that we glorify God. You know, think of it happening when people say, wow, God saved even that guy. I think a lot of people thought that of me. He saved even that guy, or even those people or that people group. God, God can do these incredible things as we are, are faithful and courageous in, in following him. But is it strange to think of uh, Christianity like a competition? You know, the striving uh, together, is it competitive? Uh, Some of us can pretty quickly make a competition out of anything, can't we? Like finishing a glass of milk or uh, walking to the library. Uh, I like to pick out competitions that I can win. Uh, Let's see, you couldn't possibly eat as much as I could. So let's let's make that the, the competition. You know, as believers, we speak of winning souls and lost souls and I, I don't mean that we reduce the ministry to, to numbers. In fact, the New Testament very rarely gives specific numbers of, of conversions. But, but we ought to feel spiritual victories and losses personally. It means something to us. It ought to. We ought to strongly desire to bear fruit for our Lord. Now, again, Paul's overlapping illustrations, and I'm finding it in the same term this time. We've talked about our courage that comes together as an, as an athletic team, but also as an attacking troop. Because that same word striving and striving together pictured a, a contention, a struggle, a word that was often used to describe battle as, as well. And it's especially concerning the cooperation of, of soldiers that we have this one mind, one soul as we, as we strive together. Verse 30 talks about the conflict that he would endure. And we've talked about places uh, just today where there's persecution and there's a conflict like what Paul saw. You and I, uh, most of us at least, have not seen anything like that yet. We may see more of it in our lifetime. And by God's grace, we'll stand firm and not be afraid, not be terrified in that day but endure that conflict for our, our Savior. The word for conflict is the word agony. It's, it, it may seem almost romantic to have to be persecuted for the cause, but it's agony. It's not fun when it happens. 
And yet the Lord can use it and use it powerfully. There was an agony within Paul due to the events that were around him. And these struggles are so much easier if endured together. He's talking to various ones to have one soul, one the mind of Christ and share it together. The Philippians weren't that different from Paul. At least not as much as they may have thought. And neither are we. Now, the type and severity of our suffering may be different today. Again, it may be more similar someday. But this is suffering for Christ we're talking about, not as a consequence of, of our foolishness or, or sin. And I, I can say it's often hard to tell why we have struggles. Hard to tell why someone has come down with a certain disease or uh, fallen into some kind of, kind of hardship, if, if, as far as we can tell, it's unrelated to uh, persecution from the world or sin. So why am I going through that? You know, I don't know that it's my job to tell that, to know why. I do know that I'm supposed to win over Satan's attempts to discourage me and you. We're, it's, a, it's an opportunity to overcome for God's glory, overcome with and overcome for Christ. Again, it's best accomplished with the help of our fellow Christian soldiers. We use these hardships as an opportunity to demonstrate our love for the Lord and to give uh, encouragement to our, to our troop. Uh, as they see, you know, look what he has endured and how he, how he keeps going. That's uh, that can be greatly used of God in the hearts and minds of others. So we've talked about two keys to our, our courage here, one spirit and one soul. Uh, I think in this passage, though, there's clearly a master key, and I appreciate having as few keys as possible to lose or, or keep track of, whatever it, it might be. So the master key, of course, is most important in verse 28. And in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which to them is an evident token of perdition, that's their perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. And our one solution is our saving faith. Our one solution to fear is our personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate source of courage. Paul had such uh, assurance that he didn't worry about death. He only waited for it. Perdition, of course, means a, a final ruin or loss. And a token of perdition, a token would be a, a sign or an indication. For instance, in the Roman Colosseum, you really didn't want the token of a thumbs down. right? Sometimes our, our fear to make things happen, or our fretting about what might happen paralyzes us. In those times, we display a big thumbs down to the watching world. Would, would your friend or neighbor be wrong to, to think that your faith is useless if you're crushed by your circumstances? What if it's evident that you're not willing to, to stand up for what's right? What good is your faith? The term perdition is used for, for waste. And an unbeliever must think uh, that it is a waste of our time and energy and resources, our, 
our faith is just a waste if it's no good when we need it. When we look back on our lives from God's perspective, we will regret what we have wasted in opportunities to be fruitful, faithful, to glorify him. You know, in the context of this passage, Paul is certainly referring to the way that, that Christians endure persecution. And we were blessed at our, our church in, in uh, Kenosha about a, about a year ago now, uh, as a missionary visited, he gave a, gave a report of a, uh, it was a long set of circumstances, but uh, the, at, at the core of it, he, he told about this courageous woman. Her husband had, had uh, gotten saved. And I think it's somewhere between, you know, geography and this man I could never quite keep up with, somewhere between Lebanon and Syria anyhow. But uh, this man was, was saved and publicly baptized. Real temptation to be baptized on the hush-hush. But he, he called everybody in and, and wanted them to see him baptized. And it was not long at all before some Muslims came in and beat him to death right there in front of his wife. Now, that man's testimony had been powerful. He'd encouraged many others, but now they're in fear. And what the Lord used to encourage them, according to this ministry, is that that man's wife, she stepped up and courageously proclaimed the gospel herself, even through what she had seen and what she had uh, endured. She was still willing to, to stand up for the Lord, and that encouraged these, these other disciples to step forward in what they were supposed to do. And according to our, our missionary uh, they believe there were at least 2,600 converts and 29 small churches established out of that set of circumstances. Courage. It begins with saving faith. And we who have that ought to be of one spirit and one soul. We ought to be standing firm and striving together. Are you doing that, or are you just spectating? Is your timidness or frightfulness a shame to your master? Or is your courage and initiative in ministry bringing him glory by winning the victory? As this relates, and you probably see I'm trying to do that, relates to my a current ministry with our churches here, it's, there's some concern about the empty pulpits and the aging pastors and, and all that. And, and you could say that there are faithful pastors and church folks in our state who are puzzled right now. They're puzzled. Why don't we have more leadership coming into the churches? Why don't we have more young people training for, for ministry and faithfully following? The Lord must be calling some that aren't following. What is missing? Why is the church lacking leadership, they wonder. As I thought about my opportunity today, I wondered if maybe some of you here were a piece to that puzzle. And I hope when the time comes and the Lord gives you a post to take, that you will not be missing in action.